This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. everyone and indeed it is uh, the Arty Farty Show and you're uh, listening to Ron Esplin the host of the uh, Arty Farty Show Uh, and indeed um, I uh, haven't got my colleague uh, beside me as would usually be the case Andy of course, Andy Cook from Art Zone, uh, and um, he may well turn up you know, so let's not uh, write him off uh, altogether at this point uh, however uh, I am delighted uh, to be hosting the show as uh, per usual, and there's an absolute plethora, I like that word, plethora of uh, things that we can talk about uh, and um, because the art scene is absolutely bustling uh, and uh, the um, number of things that are happening, I, I might I might leave it uh, uh, until um, uh, Andy turns up to talk about the art zone, but I will mention about the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, which is always worth a mention. Wonderful gallery, uh, really. You know, it was uh, many years ago, it was uh, al- allocated somewhere out where the current... Uh, uh, cricket grounders away over uh, uh, where Lake Logan used to be and they reclaimed it and then built uh, an art gallery on the spot and uh, it was a not a bad art gallery but I mean this was an awful long time ago and um, it served its purpose and uh, and the city was very far-sighted uh, in uh, locating a brand new art gallery right in the middle of town the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, right in the uh, octagon. Uh, and that was a pretty bold move, really. Uh, and, uh, OK, it um, uh, allowed the other people to use the the old building, which had got a bit cold and kind of um, uh, not very inviting. And now we've got a lovely inviting one, actually designed by the city architect Robert Tung. Uh, and opened in 1998, I believe, uh, and it's been doing a wonderful job ever since. Uh, and uh, I think we've got uh, uh, currently at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery always lots of things happening. Uh, they've got uh, uh, paintings. Uh, uh, well, not well. It is paintings actually. Joanna Paul. Uh, she's, I'm afraid, long since uh, deceased, uh, but. Um, uh, Joanna Paul uh, was actually the partner of uh, Jeffrey Harris, 
and uh, he's a very well-known artist. But and jo- uh, Joanna is well known too, but perhaps not quite so well known as uh, her uh, former partner. Uh, and uh, Joanna uh, died oh, quite young, uh, but um, uh, they've got a, a very interesting uh, arrangement there where they've uh, emulated uh, a church interior, and they've used the st- uh, stations of the cross. Uh, on a wall uh, with some of uh, Joanna Paul's uh, sort of uh, ecclesiastical uh, works. And uh, so you go along as if you're going into a church and uh, there there are the paintings uh, uh, staggered along the walls and uh, also one that looks a bit like a stained glass window and a uh, very imaginative way of um, uh, presenting the paintings. Uh, we've also got... Um, uh, uh, Hurahia Anaka Fetu, uh, which is uh, unveiling the stars, and is uh, really a, um, a tribute to uh, the the Matariki celebrations that have been happening uh, recently. Uh, we have a uh, stone carpet uh, or, uh, that is actually um, uh, entitled Folly, and uh, is by Andrew uh, Barber. That's uh, going to be showing. Uh, right through to the 5th of December this year. Uh, and all these are, qu- are going to be uh, giving you plenty of opportunity to uh, go and see. Uh, Joanna Paul's uh, finishing on the 14th of November uh, this year. Uh, Sonia Lacey ha- has a, uh, an item uh, which uh, is um, entitled Totally Dark. And that finishes on the same day as, as, as uh, Joanna Paul's on the 14th of August. And uh, the uh, you have to hurry if you want to see Unveiling the Stars. Uh, in fact, it might well be over. It'll be over on the 30th of October. Uh, so um, uh, there's a bit of time there. And, uh, yeah, Follies uh, finishes on the 5th of December. Steve Carr... Uh, well, that has just recently, uh, well, it's going to close at the end of August. It's uh, called In Bloom. And uh, the Jay Hoon Lee has um, uh, um, uh, one known as Salvation. Uh, and it, that is finishing on the 3rd of October. So lots of hap- things happening at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, indeed. Uh, and as always, and of course they've got um, musicians coming along all the time. Uh, there's a program that is on their website, which is real, well worth having a look at. Uh, and uh, they're uh, they're very very active. They they introduce uh, many of the exhibitions with artists talk uh, wherever it's possible. And uh, of course, um, I've already mentioned. Uh, the uh, the fact that it is now in the octagon and of course uh, that is a wonderful wide open space with glass uh, the sort of thing that a brand spanking new art gallery should have and uh, we had uh, in in 1998 uh, thanks to uh, Robert Tung who's uh, unfortunately no longer with us uh, so um, well done all, all concerned it was a very good move indeed I went to the opening it was fantastic uh, way back then, and uh, uh, there were a lot of uh, of the luminaries, the Dunedin luminaries, there for that opening. Uh, now we're turning to the Otago Art Society. Uh, well, uh, that uh, of course a very active, uh, in, active indeed um, um, 
uh, institution and they publish a regular newsletter and the 145th annual exhibition has uh, just been uh, uh, just opened uh, actually and uh, the judge for that annual exhibition was Ross Curry. Um, who's the president of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. So there you go. Uh, they uh, work hand in hand. And um, the um, judge uh, uh, did, a, a, as always, a very difficult job uh, of um, uh, placing the uh, different uh, uh, local artists uh, in that uh, annual exhibition. It's, uh, it's worth noting, again, 145th annual exhibition. Now, just um, allow yourself to think that through. Uh, and uh, we're looking at, say, well, moving up five years, there'll be the 150th. And uh, we're talking about 1890 or thereabouts, uh, which is pretty uh, uh, pretty amazing uh, that it started all that long time ago uh, in uh, showing um, local local work and uh, the kind of work has uh, moved incredibly since uh, you know in the early days uh, you had to be uh, painting as if it was um, you know Scottish or English uh, landscapes and things like that uh, and uh, they hadn't really quite got the idea that um, uh, we had such a wealth of uh, interesting um, uh, subjects uh, available in New Zealand itself and nowadays of course we've got you might say indigenous art really where we've got people who are uh, creating uh, uh, modern art uh, which we say is uh, really uh, New Zealand in its uh, in, in its uh, birth and uh, in its uh, uh, presentation absolutely uh, now what's happening in the Otago Art Society uh, well we've got um, uh, Doug Hart is the president, and uh, the winner of the Cleveland Awards, we'd have to say, are, um, are now uh, have now been uh, announced. And uh, congratulations to Mary Jane Sneed, who won with her stitched textile work. That would never have happened in 1890, I would think. Uh, and thank goodness it's happening now that we can see a wealth of uh, of variety. It is a wealth of variety. And um, uh, the, uh, uh, in fact, she was there at the opening, and she was wearing uh, a wonderful uh, applique on the jacket that uh, she wore when she when she went to the opening night. Wonderful stuff. And um, two items from the recent uh, annual exhibition, just to show the variety of artistic expression, uh, was um, a paper, paper, papier mache by George Kerr. Uh, Hope is Fleeting, and an agate vase and pottery by Nicole Kolek. So uh, that gives you uh, some idea of what you probably wouldn't have done all that well in, uh, the, in the early 1900s. Uh, so uh, good on Ross for um, uh, looking into that kind of thing. Uh, the first place actually in the um, open section... Uh, was engrossed too by uh, Joe Lochnan, uh, and uh, she says, "How can you draw someone just reading and reflect fairly minimally the sheer joy and stimu stimulation of being immersed in what is being read?" Well, here is just such a work of art. 
There's light coming from ahead. She's alive. It's sensitive, intimate, spare, evocative, and interesting artistically with a mix of pencil, pastel, and ink. An assured work that speaks to anyone who knows the joy of reading. And uh, second place uh, was, uh, uh, again, a, a nod to Matariki, uh, the title being Matariki Rising Over Te Maputai, and was an acrylic by Liz Marshall. And uh, the judge says Matariki links the stars with the land and this cements its cultural authenticity. This is a richly textured painting that speaks in the darkness. And third place goes to Haley Rata Hayes, who... Um, Painted Ross Creek Reservoir, a very familiar place to people who go running around the local uh, back blocks uh, amongst the uh, the town belt. And uh, as the judge said, this standout monocoloured landscape captures a glimpse of Ross Creek, uh, almost as if through a lens. It has depth, richness and a scale reaching beyond its size. It is lush and brooding. I love that. Very good. They've even got a drawing award, and uh, that goes to Baden French, who's actually, been, we've seen a lot of Baden uh, lately, uh, and uh, and good on him. Uh, that was the John H. Pledger Drawing Award, and as the drudge said, uh, as the judge, not drudge, what am I talking about? It's um, entitled Val, 60-Minute Life Drawing in Conte, and this is a drawing that embraces the viewer, totally relaxed, beautifully composed, and peaceful life-drawing pose. And uh, a landscape award goes to uh, Francis Nichols. Uh, well, sorry, not to Francis Nichols, I beg your pardon. Francis Nichols Landscape Award, and it goes to Claudia Duz, uh, or, or Deuce it may be. I'm sorry, I might not be pronouncing the name properly. And it's Mackenzie Mist, number one. And in oil, this painting successfully captures the grandeur, light and colours of the Mackenzie Basin. It gives a fine impression rather than the description of a landscape. So um, that's uh, very interesting. And uh, uh, that wonderful uh, painter Roy Dickerson has a... uh, He uh, established a Heart of the South Award, and that was actually a photograph. Again, something you would never, never have seen in the early... Uh, um, 1900s uh, and it's um, uh, a photography by Trevor Douglas and it's store Matanaka and the shop in this photo, photo stands proud and assertive centre stage with the light establishing a luminous setting and framing this is a beautifully composed shop yeah good stuff and as if that's not enough the Molly and John Pledger Art Award uh, which is another sponsored uh, award uh, was won uh, by Danielle Monroe with an acrylic called Daybreaking and the judge uh, says this is a clear understanding of what judicious use of colour can do to create an impression and there is a clear skill in doing this it's controlled and confident with its light uh, and it stands strong, close up, and the dawning of a new day glows from the other side of the room. Oh, that's a wonderful uh, uh, way to uh, describe a piece of uh, work of art indeed. And um, uh, anything else that's happening with the Otago Art Society? Well, there's always lots happening with the Art Society. Uh, uh, but um, they've got a new volunteer in the shop, apparently, and the shop is a wonderful um, addition to uh, the... Um, Otago Art Society in the railway station 
uh, and of course they, it's a call it the art station which is a good, jolly good idea and uh, they uh, have all sorts of things uh, uh, on, on uh, offer uh, in the shop uh, you've got pottery, jewellery uh, original paintings uh, and uh, just a, 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 oh I've used the word plethora once I'm going to use it again a plethora of things that you can buy that are unique. That 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 is really the uh, uh, the ultimate catchphrase. There, it is unique because because um, uh, the um, they're all works of art by um, um, by local artists. So that's pretty good. Um, I think we should have a, a bit of music. Um, what will we do? Well, we can buy. Um, Paintings and all sorts uh, from um, the art station, uh, but as they say, uh, as the Beatles say, and I've been a bit of a proponent for the Beatles um, uh, because we've just finished a series about uh, the wonderful uh, artworks that uh, adorn the um, the covers of the Beatles uh, records, and so uh, let's uh, almost say farewell to the Beatles. And uh, hello to uh, what you can buy at the art station. Oh, that's stretching a long bow. Uh, and uh, let's listen to Can't Buy Me Love. Can't buy me love. Love. Can't buy me love. i buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Cause I don't care too much for money But money can buy me love I'll give you all I've got to give If you say you love me too I may not have a lot to give But what I got I'll give to you I don't care too much for money But money can buy me love Can buy me love Everybody tells me so Satisfied. Tell me that you want the kind of things the money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can buy me Short and sweet, I would have said. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and um, that was, who else but the Beatles, of course. Uh, now, another uh, thing we should be talking about, uh, actually, is um, 
uh, some of the news that's been happening around uh, the art world uh, lately. And um, I suppose a standout thing uh, worldwide uh, was the uh, Picasso painting that sold, wait for it, for over 100 million at auction recently. And it's uh, Femme Assise Près d'une Fenêtre, which is A Lady Sits Beside a Window by Pablo Picasso. My word, wouldn't he just be astonished at uh, how much his uh, his paintings are selling for now? I know he, he was pretty keen on uh, 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 on making money from his paintings, and I don't know how much uh, he would have commanded. Uh, but the staggering thing, of course, uh, is that um, $100 million at auction. My goodness. And this oil painting by Pablo Picasso, it, it's absolutely distinctly uh, Pablo Picasso because uh, here it is, uh, this woman seating, seated by a window. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that it is a, a, a woman, but it's, it's so much the Picasso style with the, this uh, sort of impressionist uh, um, and modern art look, look at it. Um, uh, well, it, it, when I say 100 million, it was actually, wait for it, 103.4 million, yeah, at a Christie's auction in New York and smashed its pre-sale estimate of 55 million. Wouldn't we all wish that to happen in our own uh, existences as artists? Um, it's... Um, uh, uh, it actually um, was the, really led the 20th century evening sale on, uh, well, was uh, back in, I wouldn't say Thursday, we're talking about May 2021. And uh, apparently Keith Gill, head of the Impressionist and Modern Art Department at Christie's London, said the work may be familiar to art lovers from its appearance at a landmark Picasso 1932 exhibition at the Tate Modern in 2018. Well, that's pretty amazing because um, uh, I, you, you wonder how much it was then, you know. Uh, and as um, he said, it's an incredibly iconic image. It hasn't been seen up at auction since 2013, and the appreciation of Marie Theresa portraits, particularly from 1932, has very much grown since that time. So this will be a standout price for the artist, said Gil. Well, of course, uh, it would have been if he was around. After an intense bidding war, the Picasso was snapped up by an online bidder in California, Christie said. Thursday's auction, which was streamed live from the Rockefeller Center, marked the fifth work by the Spanish painter to have sold for more than 100 million. So, uh, you know, it just uh, any precedent... Uh, like that uh, and it can quite uh, often start a sort of a what would you call it a, a kind of a landslide uh, of art um, uh, prices that are phen phenomenal yeah absolutely phenomenal uh, now let's see uh, if we've got I'll tell you what we have got here that is quite interesting um, a lot of you uh, may not know that the royal family uh, was uh, very, very uh, interested in art from a long way back. And it's staggering to actually recount uh, how many of them actually painted. Uh, and uh, some of them were pretty good, and some of them uh, were less good. Uh, but uh, who am I to judge? 
They were trying their best, that's all. And uh, uh, one of the ones who really did outstanding work and, of course, also uh, made considerable money for charity was Prince Charles. And I'll let Prince Charles speak for himself. you listeners uh, will have noticed my obvious uh, uh, you know mistake uh, which was um, sounded was supposed to sound like Prince Charles and of course uh, it, it wasn't Prince Charles was it uh, in fact it was um, 10cc I do believe uh, I'm going to have another go at that because you never know your luck actually and um, uh, there's nothing like variety on this show I can tell you uh, so uh, um, I thought it would be Prince Charles, ha <laughs> uh, and uh, you were treated to 10cc. So all you people who love 10cc, uh, you can just say to yourself, oh, we got a bit of a bonus there. And all you people who want Prince Charles, here's hoping we can get it this time. <laughs> right, here we go. He said confidently. Ah, nothing. The grand essentials of happiness are something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. I have learned to seek my happiness by limiting my desires rather than in attempting to satisfy them. I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. When we feel love and kindness toward others, it not only makes others feel loved and cared for, but it helps us also to develop inner happiness and peace. When a man has lost all happiness, he's not alive. Call him a breathing corpse. Happiness belongs to the self-sufficient. The truest greatness lies in being kind, the truest wisdom in a happy mind. Action may not always bring happiness, but there is no happiness without action. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Happiness is the only good. The time to be happy is now. The place to be happy is here. The way to be happy is to make others so. Happiness is not so much in having as sharing. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. If there is to be any peace, it will come through being, not having. Happiness comes when your work and words are a benefit to yourself and others. The most I can do for my friend is simply to be his friend. 
I have no wealth to bestow on him. If he knows that I am happy in loving him, he will want no other reward. Is not friendship divine in this? Well, I must say, I got sort of interested in that. <laughs> and uh, I know we all want to be happy, but um, uh, that actually uh, was a, a rather interesting thing that I must have recorded. Uh, um, you know, as all artists, we all want to be happy, don't we? And, uh, well, uh, that, that lady was uh, talking, it was giving us quotations uh, about happiness. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for that and I'm sure we all benefited from it uh, but I think we were really talking about art weren't we and I, I would have thought uh, art is actually happiness isn't it I would think so uh, let's uh, go back let's go back to real art and uh, let's um, uh, visit uh, Mr Caravaggio uh, uh, I'm jumping around all over the place here uh, but Caravaggio all right, now we're right. That was um, that was the eighth track of my uh, uh, interviews and quotes uh, album, which uh, included "Are You Happy?" So that's what you were listening to a minute ago. But uh, Caravaggio, um, uh, this is a, a, a bit about uh, the business of art. Well, it's uh, about Caravaggio and the power of art. So here we go. Um, let's hear what we've got to hear about Caravaggio. Their motto as they prowled the streets, Nek Spey, Nek Metu, without hope, without fear. Of course, he wasn't born a thug, just a boy from small town Lombardy. The small town of Caravaggio. Oh yeah, Caravaggio didn't think so. Visions of paradise, who the hell knew about that? What he knew was right in front of his nose, down here on Earth, in the studio, the here and now, that would be the point of his art. Drawing? Who needed it? Caravaggio never drew a thing in his life. He just looked, eyeballed, and then he'd paint. When someone asked him what he was going to do for models, he pointed at the street. Them, he said, and he brought them into his studio. The rough awkwardness of Caravaggio's boy with a basket of fruit was a long way from the refined beauty of the Renaissance masters. From the start, he wasn't going to do things the way they were supposed to be done. The beheading of John the Baptist is the biggest thing Caravaggio had ever done. 17 feet long, filling the entire eastern wall of the oratory. It's movie screen sized. He wanted the knights to feel it, not as a painting, but as a living drama going on right in front of them. No wonder it sends a shiver through us, this thing, this infamous butchery, taking place in a grim prison yard, 
where the body of John the Baptist has been dragged to have his head hacked off. It's a scene of remorseless cruelty that tears your insides out and turns art upside down. Art is supposed to bring us beauty, but just look at that semicircle of figures and you will see something has gone terribly wrong. That perfect lily-white arm carries the golden bowl into which the Baptist's head will drop. The solemn soldier, the embodiment of authority, is giving the order for an atrocity. And that perfect nude is a cold-blooded hitman with a knife. The action seems to go on forever, until, like that anguished old woman, all you can do is scream. Caravaggio gives us death twice over. The death of John the Baptist and the death of our most cherished illusion about art, that it can make us finer, more humane. Dream on, says Caravaggio. In the face of this barbaric power, all we can ever be are impotent spectators, just like those prisoners in the grim darkness, screwing their necks to get a look. It's this ruthless honesty that makes this such a modern work. Art without any vision of consolation or redemption. It's a chilling scene. For me, it's about the most powerful statement an artist could possibly make about the human condition, about the brutality of state murder. But it's also autobiography. Caravaggio has signed this picture, writing his name in the blood of John the Baptist. Only a guilt-stricken killer could possibly feel this desperately about wanting the violence to stop. Only Caravaggio could want so badly for the blood of the martyr to wash away his crime. Wow, that brought us back to art in a hurry, didn't it? Uh, and uh, indeed Caravaggio, the painting that uh, is being spoken of there is The Death of John the Baptist. Well worth um, looking up uh, in uh, uh, your computers if you would uh, like to see the work of art uh, that, uh, he is, uh, that he's describing there, uh, which uh, is... Uh, uh, the uh, Death of John the Baptist uh, by Caravaggio is uh, well worth uh, delving into Caravaggio's uh, life. He, he opened it up with um, uh, a reference really to uh, the fact that uh, the fact or the understanding or the uh, speculation that he did actually kill a man uh, and uh, that there's quite a lot of, uh, I suppose, legend that would lead to uh, the truth of that uh, actu- that event actually happening. Apparently he had uh, quite a temper and uh, it um, could uh, uh, run 
in this case to possibly murder. Anyway, um, he escaped uh, a fate uh, that would be death himself on a number of occasions because he tended to uh, be a bit aggressive, uh, and his paintings kind of show it if you <laughs> if you if you look into Caravaggio's work. Uh, now, uh, one of the uh, amazing people that. Uh, um, uh, that I've become familiar over the time I've uh, been running this um, uh, broadcast is uh, that there are many um, show people, uh, mainly musicians, uh, that have um, turned to art as another uh, way of ex- ex- explaining their their artistic uh, um, uh, differences, I suppose you could say, uh, apart from uh, singing. Uh, but one of them uh, has actually uh, almost turned to arc, art uh, instead of her singing, and uh, that is uh, Joni Mitchell. And uh, Joni Mitchell, um, I have here a bit of music uh, uh, by her, and uh, I urge you to um, listen to her beautiful voice and consider also the fact that she um, uh, is an artist.
Yes, Janie Mitchell, a beautiful singer and a dedicated artist indeed. Well worth again a look up to see uh, some of uh, Joni Mitchell's work. Uh, and uh, she is very accomplished as an artist and uh, perhaps uh, deserves a place in the pantheon of art as much as she does uh, of music. Uh, now, I, this has been something that has really been important to me that I've been thinking for a while. Uh, and uh, as you know, I am an artist uh, in myself. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm a watercolour artist and I come from a family of artists. My father was a, an oil painter and uh, he painted uh, over three, three and a half thousand uh, uh, oil paintings and watercolours uh, over his lifetime. And uh, I'm still chasing that uh, uh, very difficult uh, target. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, my brother uh, was also an artist and uh, I'm sorry to say that in March uh, I lost my brother uh, and uh, I feel a, a need to perhaps uh, uh, post a tribute to him on the Arty Farty Hour. So uh, my brother was Clark Esplin. He was born in St Andrews in Scotland and came out to New Zealand with his family in 1954. And uh, of course he was the son of uh, Tom and uh, his wife Edith, who was also a painter, and my mother and father. He was educated, Clark was educated at John McGlashan College, Dunedin, and uh, Teachers College, and the University of Otago. And he's a member and former vice president of the Otago Art Society. He taught first in Otago, specialising in art at the Tyree High School, but since 1976 he lived in Christchurch, where he was a life member of COCA, the Canterbury Centre of, of Contemporary Art, and he's also a member of the New Zealand Academy of Fine Art. He was invited as a tutor at many successful adult art schools over the years. As a full-time professional artist, he drew much of his inspiration from over 25 years of travel in Europe, Asia, the Pacific, and uh, the Americas. Uh, in wartime Scotland, our father Tom was serving in the artillery and our mother Edith was pregnant and uh, staying with Tom's parents, Tom and Janet, in, in Leaven at the time. And the closest maternity hospital was 25 miles away in St Andrews and it snowed and it was decided that an ambulance should be called to cover the distance safely for the birth of my dear brother Clark. He was born in St Andrews on the 27th of November 1941 and named in the Scottish tradition after his father and his grandfather. Our family home was in Edinburgh and Clark hardly ever saw his father uh, when he was demobbed in 1946. Uh, my brother, now five years old, was disorientated or disconcerted by the arrival of a daunting Captain Esplin in full military uniform surging through the front doors, dropping his valise and pack, then enveloping our mother in his arms. The inclusion of the strange man into the household suddenly at uh, already five years of age was a common post-war occurrence among uh, war children. Uh, and, uh, you know, many uh, of uh, you people that were around at the time that the war finished would uh, know what I'm talking about. Um, 
who else? Uh, so Clark was uh, really, I consider, my best friend and mentor. He taught me a lot about art. And um, so who else but Clark was my would be my best man when I was first married in 1969. And many years later, he was our witness for my marriage to Julie in 2011. So yeah, the um, the thing that the thing that went on with the Esplin family because three three men were all artists uh, was uh, the choice of uh, medium. So Dad had painted in oils. So uh, my brother Clark, although he did paint in oils occasionally, he painted in acrylics. And I decided to concentrate on watercolours. And uh, thirty years on, I'm still working on watercolours. Uh, so as a result of that. Um, um, collaboration, we really formed the Art Mafia of Dunedin, also affectionately referred to as the family firm. Um, Clark moved to Christchurch and followed in the footsteps of our father, becoming an art teacher teaching art at Shirley Intermediate. He married his wife of 44 years, Margaret Cosgrove, and although they were taught up in, uh, caught up in the Christchurch earthquake in 2011, in Maryvale, the house only suffered minor damage. Uh, however, they subsequently were able to move to Auckland to live in Danny Mora Gardens Village in East Tamaki. Uh, one amusing art in- incident that my brother told me was when he and his father had a joint exhibition at a gallery named Picturesque, which is on the waterfront in Akaroa, uh, and uh, was owned at the time by Lorraine Quinn. Dad offered to drive Clark from Christchurch to Akaroa to attend the opening. But Clark, he was a great lover of cars. He'd owned 12 motorbikes uh, when he was in his uh, early 20s. And um, at this time, he owned a luxurious Cadillac that had been owned by the U.S. Embassy and carried the number plate XUSMBC. Very apt. Let's drive in style, said Clark to Dad. So together they went on the one-and-a-half-hour, 80-kilometre drive to Akaroa. They arrived a little early, and Clark suggested that the car looked rather too opulent for a couple of artists, and it wouldn't be good. Uh, it wouldn't be a good look to uh, potential buyers of their paintings at the opening uh, to arrive in a, in a, um, um, a luxurious uh, Cadillac car. So they parked the car in a side street, Uh, so as not to draw attention. And as they walked across the road to the gallery, a helicopter was landing on the neighbouring grass area at the emergency helicopter pad, and uh, they were depositing a patient. When they walked into the gallery, they were introduced by the rain to individuals in the gathering crowd who were delighted to meet Tom and Clark. They were full of praise for the art displayed on the walls, and several guests were equally impressed that the artists had arrived by helicopter. <laughs> yeah, uh, so they were foiled. Uh, they looked as if they were very uh, uh, well-heeled artists by arriving in a helicopter. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to quote uh, Clark on his art. He, he actually said himself, I am passionate about sailing. My early watercolours were often of marine subjects in a free and fluid style. I enjoyed the challenge of watercolour the opportunities it gave for composition with the white pep paper on reserve, which uh, you, all watercolourists know you have to uh, um, keep the whites and plan them in advance because it's all just the paper. And the freshness that can be gained from a single statement. My later work has been a personal response mainly in watercolours and acrylics to subjects I've encountered in my travels. Sheltered harbours in Europe, 
people talking and going about their business in towns and markets in France, Japan or Latin America and quiet hill towns in Italy. As I travel, I'm constantly recording my sketchbook subjects that excite and inspire me. I'm editing all the time until I distill my statement. Although I'm a New Zealander, growing up in Scotland helped me to relate to the European artistic tradition. I enjoy painting people and places. Well, that was my brother Clark, uh, Thomas Clark Esplin, uh, otherwise known uh, to the art world as Clark Esplin. And uh, Clark uh, was indeed uh, a fine artist. He painted many, many paintings. He didn't actually keep a track of his paintings very well. Um, uh, unlike my father and myself, uh, we have a very detailed record of all our paintings. Uh, but Clark was a bit more um, cavalier as far as that's concerned. And and uh, he uh, helped a lot of um, uh, charities. He used to give a lot of paintings and uh, as a service to the community. And in fact, he won the Paul Harris Fellowship in uh, Christchurch uh, uh, because of his generosity and contributions to uh, to their um, fundraising work. Uh, so um, unfortunately, now we have to. Uh, I've had to say farewell to my brother Clark on the 13th of March 2021 uh, and uh, in fact I've lost a, a friend and a brother or a brother and a friend if you like and um, he uh, had his funeral in uh, Auckland uh, and uh, he leaves behind many people who have very happy memories of him well here's a, a bit of a song here uh, uh, that um, I um, reckon uh, fits the bill and it's The Old Master Painter by uh, Frank Sinatra. The old master painter from the faraway hills Painted the violets and the daffodils He put the purple in the twilight haze for the rainy days Dreamed up the murals on the blue summer skies Painted the devil in my darling's eyes Captured the dreamer with a thousand thrills The old master painter from the faraway hills Then came his masterpiece and when he was through He smiled down from heaven and he gave me you What a beautiful job on that wonderful day The old master painter from the hills far away Then came his masterpiece and when he was through he smiled down from heaven and he gave me you What a beautiful job on that Master painter from the faraway hills Painted the violets and the daffodils He put the purple in the twilight haze Then did a rainbow for the rainy days Dreamed of the murals on the blue summer skies Painted the devil in my darling's eyes Captured the dreamer with a thousand thrills The old 
became his masterpiece And when he was through He smiled down from heaven And he gave me you What a beautiful job On that wonderful day The old master painter from the hills Far away Far away Yes, that's uh, Frank Sinatra, the old master painter, and uh, possibly we could say that's a great tribute to my brother. You've been listening to the Artifarty Hour uh, on, uh, or the Artifarty Show on Otago Access Radio, uh, um, one one five seven five AM and uh, one hundred five point four FM. And we'll close with hello, goodbye, the old Beatles at last, uh, at the last shot, uh, and um, uh, and a tribute perhaps to my to my brother, uh, who who died in March.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.